Hello everybody, this is Brett Stewart. This is actually a bonus episode. This is the first one we've ever put in the feed. So, first of all, if you enjoy this, please let us know on Facebook or on Twitter or via our email. We want to hear from you if this is the kind of thing you'd like to see in the feed a little bit more often, uh, perhaps with other collaborations, as you're going to hear in this case. We recorded with Rumor Flies. They actually hosted this production, and uh, their host, Greg Tilton, had previously been on Pay the Ghost. So it was really wonderful to have the opportunity to podcast with them on their show. He was the only one available from the Rumor Flies team at that point. But we did a really wonderful discussion between the four of us on the two different Netflix and Hulu uh, Fire Festival documentaries. And it was a lot of fun. It's a funny conversation. It's insightful. We actually talk about all the crazy parts of it alongside the deeper societal and economic implications of what happened during this festival. It's really a great discussion. It ties directly in with these two documentaries. I do highly recommend watching at least one of them. Uh, which one is up to you? There's pros and cons to both, as we're going to get into in this discussion. But a big shout out to River Flies, a big shout out to Greg Tilton. And I hope you enjoy this bonus episode in the feed with Movie Go Round and Rumor Flies talking about the Fire Festival. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Rumor Flies. That's right. It's just me, Greg. The prisons, are, the uh, prisoners are running the asylum. The inmates are running the prison. How's it work? I don't remember the saying, but it is just me and me alone. The only one who's required for this show. Uh, but I am in my uh, mutiny bringing on some wonderful guests who have been so kind to have me on their show, and I am so excited to finally repay the favor. They've been so, I've been a guest with y'all, what, three times now? Three times, I think twice released due to a heart Oh, that's right, but whatever. Hey, you got me to finally watch uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was a massive gap in my uh, film knowledge, so hey, thanks for the excuse. So this is Movie Go Round. They are a wonderful show. They have all kinds of great movie reviews. Brett, do you want to tell us a little bit about it or any of your wonderful co-hosts? Yeah, just real quickly, I'll just say that uh, my name is Brett Stewart. I am one of the three uh, co-hosts of Movie Go Round. It is a podcast that has a rotating set of five themes. They range from international films to films that only one of the three of us have seen, thus introducing the other two. Netflix Roulette, that's always a dumpster fire. Those are always really um, fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Pretty sure that's how we had us. Pay the Ghost, right? <laughs> yeah, you were on for one of those. We've had You Did This to Us, where our audience picks the movies for us. Again, typically a fire in a dumpster, uh, a lot of that sort of stuff, but I could not do it, of course, without my two wonderful co-hosts. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves, Nicole Davis. Hi, I'm Nicole Davis. I'm the one who takes care of the Facebook page. I'm the old lady of the group. Um, I keep bringing the old movies for the guys to watch because they haven't <laughs> seen them. So, and uh, we're hoping to get Brett accustomed to uh, more international movies as well. I yes, you guys have done that. a great job of that. And uh, and David Luzader is with us as well. Yes, I'm David Luzader. This is what I sound like. <laughs> that's a movie star name, man. Danny Luzader. That's like a that's like a great film name. David. Not, who's Danny? <laughs> Sorry, I said Danny. My bad. David Luzader. Sorry, Luzader is the part I'm emphasizing. That is a great film name. That's funny. You got that right. Usually people are like, it's David Luzader. <laughs> Luzader. David Lizardman. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> 
Now, Danny is the alter ego, the clean-shaven one that he usually keeps locked in the attic. But... I told Danny to get out of town. What's he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, basically, I'm having them on because I recently watched, as did many people, the two Firefest documentaries that were released almost with what within like four days of each other yeah <laughs> and so i could not stop talking about it. my wife and i watched both of them back to back admittedly at her insistence props to her and it blew my mind not just because like i love documentary for many of our listeners know i my background is filmmaking documentaries kind of what got me to pick up a camera and it it just there's so much going on under the hood besides the fact that they're just great documentaries in their own right. They both have so many problems and it is amazing. I love problematic could not be a more appropriate word for both. And yet at the same time, they both tell amazing stories and are actually incredible feats of filmmaking in a lot of ways. But the dialogue that happens, this just very unique situation where a very recent event that is incredibly well-documented with tons of primary source material, has millions of dollars of treatment by equal competitors. I mean, it's just, this is a very unique situation. I think anyone who's watched one or both understands how how much went into these films. And to have the two to compare and contrast is such a unique opportunity. And so I basically put it on Twitter and I said, I've got to do a documentary about it. None of my podcasts are about filmmaking. Can someone, like, do this with me and Brett generously volunteered him and his co-hosts time. And now they are here this evening on a rush job with me. And uh, yes, that is basically the backdrop of the show. So if y'all don't mind, I'm just going to kind of dive really quickly into the Firefest backdrop yeah. and we can dive into Netflix. Cause I know Nicole, you don't have a ton of time, uh, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it. So we'll give you ample stage time before you roll out. So fire festival was an event in 2006. 17, 17 yep um that basically is the ultimate culmination of influencers and the experience very much hearkening back to your like uh woodstock days uh very interesting similar language actually but it was the ultimate getaway. You were going to go on Pablo Escobar's island. You were going to be, uh, you could rent a yacht and have all these, the release video showed beautiful models, all these women in beaches on bikinis and these guys riding jet skis and you could have these bungalows and it was, it was just the most unbelievable, too good to be true experience and you could buy a ticket right now. And for those who don't know, spoiler alert, Dumpster Fire does not remotely come close. I mean, they are lucky no one died. This is a catastrophe of epic proportions. And the the narrative at the time was fascinating because you had Instagram influencers and all these people, all these people writing about it, posting photos, posting videos. And the public in a lot of ways got their jollies on it because they basically were going, well, this is what you get. This is what happens when you when you you know you deserve this in some way, and so it was a very weird situation. And now the dust is settled. The founders behind bars. We have two documentaries, and they paint similar yet very parallel and distinct pictures. Um, so that being said, I think we're going to dive into the Netflix one, uh, which has some of the most obvious issues. Um, Nicole, I would love to get your insight into it for those who don't know netflix produced their documentary um it covers they both cover a lot of the prep 
the actual event itself and the fallout, but they both emphasize it very differently. So how would you characterize the Netflix production and what were some things that stand out? Um, you can go as much into the story itself or you could just dive right into it. I'm going to assume people who are listening to this have at least watched one of the documentaries. Okay, so the Netflix one, from what I understand, um, it seems to have a tremendous amount of access to primary source material. You know, as this thing was being put together, there was clearly at least one or two people at all times just recording everything about how the festival was being put together, talking to the primary organizers, if to use the term almost euphemistically, uh, <laughs> Billy McFarland and Ja Rule. Um, no relation to Seth McFarland. A lot of people ask that question. No, no. That's McFarland. No D on the end. No. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I found out afterwards why they had access to oh, so yes. much primary source material mm -hmm. and so many people who worked directly on the project. Ooh, getting right into the good stuff. <laughs> yeah um but, but i'm gonna i'm gonna glide over that for the moment and just you know the the two the three biggest takeaways i had from this were billy mcfarland is a narcissistic sociopath of the highest <laughs> order <laughs> hot take hot take yeah, yeah the <laughs> devil you say stunning an absolute infuriating levels and it baffles me what sort of charisma people saw in him that they did what he asked them to he's nauseatingly cheerful yes yeah. uh, <laughs> Thank the, you. the second thing was um it was really interesting to watch this schadenfreude developing you know this glee at how badly it went <laughs> and how horribly the ticket buyers uh what horrible experiences they had and i think the majority of it comes from the fact that tickets were very hard to get and you had to have huge amounts of disposable income in order to afford them not and entirely the, true well it's <laughs> that was how that's right, how it's framed how, yeah. The way the Netflix documentary yes, frames yes. it, it was all exclusive packages. It was all very high end. Um, and that was the, the big push was marketing, how exclusive it was. Mm -hmm. And people who can't get those exclusive things hate the other people who can get those exclusive things. Um, and some of us are really kind of uh, me being one of those people, a little revolted by people who are so fixated on having the exclusive experience that nobody else can have. And I'm one of the lucky few. And that makes me better somehow. Well, you literally see awards now for um, whether it's an escape room or just some sort of pop-up dining thing. You actually see awards for most instagrammable experience that's literally a thing now oh i'm out guys turn up a mic done no no you're right you're right but i think that plays into what you're talking about a little bit yeah the third thing you come away with was how absolutely screwed the day laborers were oh, um yeah. 
The Netflix one covers that a lot better than the Hulu one. We'll get to that. But I think I like that a lot about the Netflix one for all its problems. The impact on the island is very, very highlighted. Yes, it's it's very clear. There were hundreds of people who came in and gave their labor like almost around the clock and were scrambling. For what, like six weeks, basically? Yeah, using huge amounts of emotional and physical energy to try Mm -hmm. to accomplish this, to get it done in time. Mm-hmm. none of them got paid oh like, yeah diddly. i think it was i think it was the hulu one that they had at least one guy mentioned that they were working until like three in the morning yeah. going home and coming back at seven in the morning like these guys were running on no sleep working <laughs> insane amounts of time uh and, and i mean they, they talk about that woman at the end talked to you she had to spend fifty thousand. Right? yeah the caterer has been fifty thousand dollars of her own money to cover costs that she will never and just to pay again. these guys. And, and actually there was a successful crowdfunding effort for her yes, um, yes, after there. the documentary, which I was very happy to that's see. That's awesome. Okay. That's really cool. But that yeah, was like, when, until this documentary came out, this was, you know, so two years later and her savings had been wiped out just so that her regular employees wouldn't hate her for the mistakes of Billy McFarlane. Yeah. That's like, that's like, it, 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 that doesn't need to be explained. I mean, that's just absurd. <laughs> and what's what's mind blowing about the whole affair to me above all, and Nicole alluded to this, is that there's a lot of people drinking the Kool-Aid around him. Too many. A, a lot of smart people are, are drinking this Kool-Aid or looking the other way. Or And, and obviously there, some of that is the fact that he was cooking his books and telling people he had $2.2 million in Facebook stock when he had $1,600 um, and so on and so forth. But what really blows my mind is that there are several people in both of these documentaries that try to inject reason into this process a number of times. My favorite in the Netflix documentary the pilot. was, well, okay, oh, yeah, the pilot. There's a man that learns sorry. how to fly using. Sorry to interrupt. Simulator. Sorry to interrupt. I just was like, the, that guy had me in stitches. No, the pilot. <laughs> the pilot was smart. He was like, he was one of the people that was like, "Hey, you can't do this." And they were like, "Right, hey, you're, right. you're fired." But the other, well, the. The other one, this this might actually be the pilot. I watched this last week. Was the man that was hired to do some planning, and he had maybe the only reasonable idea of this entire. Idea, oh yes, which was why don't we just put them all on a cruise ship? This was the pilot. Like, that was the pilot. It was, was amazing, okay. and it's a great idea because it was a the island idea. It was the, the best idea. Booked, it was the only yeah. way they were going to save it. Exactly, the island they had booked didn't have didn't have the infrastructure, didn't have any infrastructure at first. And then when they moved it off of the fake Pablo Escobar Island onto an actual island with some infrastructure. Which, which they had to move it off the Pablo Escobar Island because the person who owned the island was like, hey, don't mention Pablo Escobar. Yes, I'm making so first, one request. First and the, the text, first thing first they did text. was oh, Pablo Escobar. Oh, and the guy was like, all right, I told you not to do that. You're out. And that's the crazy thing. Right. Of all the lies and swindling, he had the island. He had it. Right. He literally had the location. <laughs> and and what's mind-blowing about it to me is that, you know, there's – and the Hulu, Hulu documentary touches on this even better, I think. Um, they're talking about all the – not just the fact that this island is, you know, not well-equipped for a festival and that this looks nothing like the promo shoots that they've done, but also that there's, like, large cliffs that look 30, 40 feet high surrounding this area, that, essentially this, like, bluff around the ocean that they have now picked. I don't think it was OSHA. I don't think they were OSHA safe. I am pretty no. sure. Yeah, uh, no. yeah, I don't think so. And uh, 
And this guy comes in. He's like, well, I just put him on a cruise ship. And everyone's like, huh, that asshole. And then they fire him. The logistics of getting them on and off the island are too overwhelming. Fast forward. Whoops. <laughs> but these people, and, and I think, all right, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to go right in here. Um, this, okay. So the Netflix documentary, I got to, I got to bring this up while Nicole is still here because I need. Are we just much... getting to this? Are we getting to this right now? Do it. I need to do I it. To I want to know where this is going. Do it. So uh, the Netflix documentary. White haired guy. Yes. So for yeah. all of the problems <laughs> that this movie has. Well, so let's. And... Before we get to so the, the moment. So this guy. So Billy had. A, I don't remember his name. Billy had a guy who was basically like. Who had been with him for years and was like was really bought into Billy as a human being. His name and was Andy it, King. Andy King. And Billy brought him in was it like, hey, I. I need you to I need you on this festival like you know you're smart you can help solve all these problems like talked him into doing so many impossible tasks and then right and what what blows my mind about this first of all is that and I have to give credit to the Netflix producers is this is perhaps the most audacious insane thing I've ever seen in a documentary with an interviewee he straight up comes in and says, Billy McFarlane called me up, said that we have tons and tons of water that's being all backed up in import, and we need to pay the Bahamas $145,000 that we do not have to bring this fresh water onto the island, because again, no infrastructure. You are our fearless gay leader, Andy King. Go blow this man for our water. And... Uh, Literally, literally, not figuratively. Will, will not, you give? Will you give this man a blowjob? Not, yeah, not flatter him. And really. here's what it, it's so insane about it. Andy King is like, okay. No, here's no, the, I think his words were, "I was fully prepared for this yeah. music fest." Well, no, like, that, that's how I think. Like how much I think that kind of speaks to the power of the people in Billy's circle. How worn down this guy was by everything that I mean, he was talking about bursting into tears daily. That right. this this guy was just build a culture of yes like that where it's obsessively yeah. yes and like literally throughout it and Netflix both actually do a pretty good job of showing everyone who said no was shit canned. I think one of you alluded mm-hmm. to this earlier. Yeah, like the the pilot you say no, fire. you're out, and it's like like he would literally hear negative things right off on his four wheeler and come back as if nothing happened. The guy yeah. was incapable of negativity and yeah, well, and just no. And so yeah, like so. It's well, the it, classic, like you yeah. talk about World War II. Take extreme examples. It's that he didn't jump day one and say, go do this. That you build it, you build it, you build it. And he built a culture of like, we are so monumentally f-ed unless you are a team player. Are oh, yeah, you we're, a team we're not player? A, we're not a problem company. We're, we're a solutions-oriented <laughs> That's company. That's right. I forgot about that right. line. We're a solutions-oriented company. Right. Oh, that it's, line. It's not, it's not just negativity. He was impervious to any to reality that didn't fit his idea of how things should go. He lived in a very tight bubble around his brain. Though yeah. one of my favorite things that the, that the Hulu documentary mentioned, and it baffles me why the Netflix one did not touch on this, is that a significant way through this process, and they're already deep in the water. They are so deep in debt. He's taking money from investors left and right. They're overselling um, stuff they cannot he's, fit. They he's don't taking, have the. 
he's taking short-term loans from loan sharks. Exactly. It's, it's they, they don't have loans. the infrastructure. They don't have the buildings, the cabanas, and all the other exclusive experiences they have now. Nothing. Uh, nothing. And Billy, Billy goes to his people, and he's like, we need a pirate ship. And I, I'm yes, getting a little I on, on, on Hulu here, which I know Nicole did not see. But he yeah. goes to them, and he's like, you guys, we need to get a pirate ship out here. And then they actually devote a significant amount of their resources to figure out how to get a pirate ship there. Well, anytime. And it baffles the mind. Any any time that Billy would go to anybody and say I uh, I want to do this I want I want to throw this festival in six months like they would straight people would straight up tell him you can't do it it's it's impossible and he would ignore like he learned that the the stage rental stuff uh, he figured that out with a Google search like he got to so many nice. people who were like we're not going to help you because what you're doing is impossible that but he just lives in this reality of like well if I want it it'll happen so. I'm just going to go onto Google and learn how to rent a stage. Yeah, share force this, of will. It's this sociopathic sense of entitlement. If I want it, I should have it. You should not keep me from having it. And you're a bad person if you say that I can't have it. Well, this gets back to your shot and Freud comment earlier, and and we talked about that slightly earlier. It was like people enjoyed watching it fail and watching people get their comeuppance because I think a lot of people kind of sensed you're an idiot for not getting this is too good to be true. And it's one thing to be duped as the consumer and the audience. It's another to be the planners and have like duped yourselves. And I always wonder how much Billy McFarlane knew how bad it was. Like the way he talks, the way he he did did his... Yeah, the way he treated his probation, I think, is so indicative of, like, yeah. I think it's – Mother doesn't need to be in a jail cell. He needs intense therapy. Like, he – I don't even know. I've never quite seen anything like this. It's not even a con artist. He oh, he is a con he artist. Belie- no, he is. No, I'm saying, but the con artist has this kind of, like, malicious, like, I'm out to get you, and they're um, they are very self-aware versus – He's almost deluded himself, although the confounding factor, and Netflix had it for a brief moment, and I'm kind of confused as to why a bigger deal wasn't made of it, when they're drunk, and they're all talking, and they're like, what's the point of it? He goes, the point is to separate idiots from their money, dude. <laughs> like, something along those lines. He said, like, something along those lines, or he's like, it's to separate idiots from their money. He mentioned something about, like, we're selling an experience to the average loser. That's right, yeah, that, that's right. I could, yeah, but he basically was saying, like, we're taking... We're taking money from losers. But I remember he said, like, specifically, I think he used the words, like, taking money or something. like. He used a phrasing that was very, that was very stark. My wife and I both were like, whoa, this is the biggest monkey wrench in the, like, psychological profile of Billy McFarlane. Like, the, the horrifying thing is, I mean, his plans didn't work out, sure, but he was exceedingly good at getting money from people, at, tell, at giving people, in a way, what they wanted. And getting, yes. which everybody in the documentary, you know, we can look at this documentary and see like, oh, well, the lies are so obvious because we're seeing them all here. Right, but in hindsight, and both documentaries, people at the end are kind of like, this is going to happen. Like, he's going to do this again. He's going to do something. He's going to. There's a line where that we have not heard the last of Billy McFarlane. Yeah, yeah. Like within, within, within ten years, you know, he's going to be out of prison, and there's going to be something else that he's attached to that is going to probably be very similar to this. And well, some people are going to believe him 
Yeah. Because he's one of those people where if he, if they repeat, if he repeats it often enough, if he repeats a pretty enough or an, an attractive enough lie often enough, people will believe it. And I'm going to leave you with the thought that we've got someone leading the country right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> operates on a pew, very pew, pew. set of <laughs> principles. This is my personal opinion, not, to, the, the not affiliated with Hulu the documentary podcast. also. Yeah, Hulu, Hulu documentary also makes a, a quite a slight comment like that. The Hulu documentary very much draws parallels, and I think what you're saying is very much fair game. I could not get it out of my head the entire time I was watching Oh, most definitely. It's, yeah. it's the bubble. similarities it's the... were just so striking to me. Building right. its own so. worldview. No worries, Nicole. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having um, Really me. appreciate your time. I know longer. it was a brief moment, but thank you so much. Okay, thank you. I'll see you later. Have a good night. Bye, Nicole. Bye, Nicole. Nicole. <laughs> Man, uh, she's got no skin. <laughs> all right, uh, bros, let's talk right, about Fubo. Let's talk about the Hulu documentary. <laughs> yeah, so there's one thing I want to bring up, um, which kind of also blew my mind, which is, uh, well, two things that are kind of intertwined. Um, the first is we haven't really talked about Magnesis, which is his first uh, massive endeavor anyway, which I was the, the basically the shitty black card for millennials. Which I loved that they talked about that in Hulu because I think it's the Hulu one's so focused on Billy McFarlane. Like the films definitely need to be watched in pairing. And I do think you should watch Hulu first and Netflix first. I, I, I agree. That's what I did. Uh, but how anybody fell for Magnesis is beyond. Right. It's your own credit card through another bank that you get extra. Per- what? What? <laughs> oh. And what blew my mind, and, and I can say this because it's you know it was reported by um, several news sources, is that you know when he was giving out these these free tickets to concerts like Adele and and plays like Hamilton, he would wait until the day of the play or the show, buy them on the secondary market, and wow. then he would go and pass them out physically in person because there's no way to get them to people quick enough otherwise. And then he'd use that money to then fund the next thing, which is like, Hey, we have the Super Bowl. Hey, we have Hamilton. And that is so baffling to me because like at one point, at what point do so many of these people realize this is kind of fishy. And I guess that is an underlying theme of the fire festival as a whole, right? Because you do have a dude screaming from the mountaintop on Twitter with fire fraud that this is a scam. Can I but tell you what I think is kind of the, it. sorry to, sorry to kind of jump in, but yeah, like my buddy, and I talked a lot about this and I think there's two elements to it. One, it's a Ponzi scheme. That's not in the financial market, right? It's a Ponzi scheme. That's you pay the next sucker. You get the money from the next suckers to pay the previous ones. Right. It's, it's, it's basically, it, it is, it's, it's structurally a Ponzi scheme. Yep. But the other element is that, and this is why I think Firefest actually happened, right? Well, quote unquote happened. Why people were there to the very end. His checks cleared. That's the thing. Like people, now the musicians and people were not getting cleared because, and that's a very interesting thing that he didn't pick up on. And that's very true in the music market. They don't take down payments or pay after. When you're at that level, you get paid ahead of time. And so... It's like a totally different financial situation. And so what happens is because of the timeline, notice Blink-182 is the big flare gun in the air. Because finally, there's someone in the market chain who can't wait for money. And so it's a very, I think that like, they were very smart up to that point. I say smart in a very devious nature. That they, yeah, they they, they did this Ponzi scheme and ultimately... 
if you're working and the checks are clearing, obviously not for the people in the Bahamas, but checks were clearing for big enough people that they didn't question it. Well, and he also, I mean, there was a lot of people that started getting so deep into it when he was like, there was that guy in the uh, Netflix one who talked about, you know, I got paid 30% of what was promised to me and I had 70% waiting for me at the end. And I had to, I had to keep on if I was going to get paid. I think that happened a lot. I mean, with the workers as well, it had to be like, a, well, you know, once this is, once this is finished, cost. you're going to, you're going to get a big old paycheck, you know, and then he had to start, yep. then he had to start going to loan sharks and well, well, I can't remember the interest rate on one of them, but he had to pay over, a, over half a million dollars in six months. Like just doing these insane things. To Upside try down and, so damn quickly. Yeah. It, it was just it's just madness though how far along it got uh and how many people along the way as it got closer and closer were like you can't do this you gotta stop but yeah, one by one it's too late yeah yeah one well, thing- what, what kind of blew my mind and not to interrupt you david i'm sorry go ahead no, go for um it. you're doing a podcast with greg tilton interruptions are a a guaranteed teacher not a bug well, well. First of all, I realize all I'm saying is that everything blew my mind. But um, you have like you have you have uh, Carola Jane, right, or Carola Jane, who is this you know massive, um, essentially like an angel investor of some sort that is just going in and dropping tons of money on him. You have you have people like Andy King who are who are veterans in this industry who are working with him and standing by him, and you. That's a very good point. He has at the beginning of this is absolutely remarkable and honestly probably could have made the festival come to fruition if it was used in a remotely responsible way. Maybe if not the it, best festival ever. Could have if happened. They, if they had taken the year to do it, they could have built something that really would have been crazy. You know, it, it would have been the culmination of these, of this festival sort of culture that's, that's popped up here in America in a big way. You know, everywhere's got a festival. You got Bonnaroo, Coachella, blah blah blah. All these Burning places, man. <laughs> yeah, these places that put on for like oh for a weekend, for a week, whatever. And they're like, hey, we're going to do two weeks in the Bahamas. If they had built that out for a year, I mean, I get like the idea, like it's happening in April. That's like six months from now. What? Whoa! But if they had like actually set up and like in a year, in a year and a half, uh, we're going to do this big thing, like and took the time to do it, they could have. With his charisma and power persuasion, he would have no doubt gotten the sponsors to fund it. I, I fundamentally, I convinced this, this. There is a world in which this festival happened. It would be a thing where we would all we wouldn't be on this podcast right now, but we'd all be like, "Man, that actually seems kind of cool." Like, maybe, maybe I'll save up and do it one day. Yeah, well, I think two things are required for that to happen. The first thing is that you can't build a festival on the back of how do we promote our app. Like, yes. let's not forget that fire so, is a talent. Very, very good segue. Very good segue. So, um, <laughs> that's one thing that I wish that Hulu, Hulu barely, barely mentions the app. They make it seem like an app yeah. of, oh, well, the festival was just a point to whole roll, roll out the app. What I love in the Netflix one is they point out, no, the app was the idea and the festival was their way to promote it, fund it, whatever. Right. And, the app and also some of the people getting really the most for the app developers. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. The app developers were like, what the fuck is going on? Over oh, by here? the way, like, there's a new app called Icon that is also mm-hmm. run by Ja Rule that is the exact same thing. It's just, it's let's talk same. about Ja Rule. Like, Woo, ja so first Rule. of all, Ja Rule's an asshole. And, oh, um, yeah, that's, and that's uh, just 
Like he's only as responsible as he wants to be based on who he's talking to and how drunk he is. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. He cannot keep his mouth shut. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. He 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 just runs his mouth about how he was the mastermind after it failed. Well, but here's the thing. He was never <laughs> What are you doing? Cuz he was never in I mean he was the idea man. You know, if you watch even the points where he's talking with like Grant and stuff, he's like, "Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this." And then he wouldn't do anything he would walk away so when it when other people were getting into trouble for him being like no we're gonna do this and people had to figure it out and that's like so much trouble came from that so it's like he was just a guy who was like here's what we're gonna do but never was any real official capacity with this thing he didn't even he wasn't even on the island when <laughs> the festival was happening i mean right uh, hulu one points out that like he fi- he figured out Oh, most definitely. There is no way in hell you are so invested in something like that, and then you just happen to not go. He knew. And Billy's the only righteous thing he did. Billy protected for him so much. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Billy, Billy, they asked Billy, like, did Ja Rule tell you to cancel the festival? I can't tell you what happened in private conversations. So, yes. So even it got to a point where even Ja Rule was like, Hey man, maybe we shouldn't do this. <laughs> and I think and that's also know, a we good need segue. a Jaru hot take. Yeah. Right. I think it's also a good segue into the fact that, you know, as Nicole alluded to earlier, the problematic nature of the Netflix documentary is that Ooh, it is ready for this. Yeah. Is is that is that it's produced by by the folks behind, you know, F Jerry. There yeah, I forgot, you've already been swearing. Um you already <laughs> have the explicit pack. I, hey, okay, I appreciate the fact that you behind, take caution. <laughs> you have the people behind Jerry, and then you also have um, on the Hulu side the fact that they got the McFarland interview specifically because they paid him one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, I've heard as high as a quarter million. They won't verify the exact amount, Yikes. but it's guaranteed he made six figures. Yeah, because he he requested two fifty from Netflix, and Netflix was like, "We're no, we're not doing that." And and frankly. I don't think Netflix lost out on anything. I mean, no. he's very – he's. I think the only thing that his interview brings to the Hulu documentary, because he's currently being indicted at that point in time and can't really talk about a lot, is it shows you how just insane this man truly is that even after the fact, he just doesn't believe he did anything wrong. No, he doesn't, he doesn't even necessarily believe the festival failed. Like that's, right. how, that's how broken his brain well, he is. Everything had to go so right for this to go so wrong, is what he said. No, it didn't. <laughs> Everything had to go so wrong for this to go so wrong. It, uh, yeah, like, yeah, you would solve one small problem and 85 other giant ones would pop up, man. Uh, so, but here's the th- so the, the Hulu one had somebody who was from the Jerry Media Team. Uh, but it didn't really, like, they underutilized him. That was a golden opportunity. And, and this is so pretentious to say, as a documentary filmmaker, that, that was a total botched opportunity. Well, but here, I, mean, I, I, think, I think he offered some interesting insight. I think the thing is people – But he had like what, two and a half minutes of screen time maybe? Oh, there's some, there's some that were in the, the – some of the influencers that popped up in the Netflix one who had less than a minute. I'm like, don't put that interview in there. That's a, that's, you're wasting everyone's yeah, time. Yeah, you're just, you're just showing your cards and trying to show off a little bit. It's like that means that you got nothing good out of that interview. But anyway, uh, I don't think like people want to be, oh, like, oh, f- Jerry couldn't be objective because they were, but I don't, I think they were just a media team. I think they were just 
fulfilling the contract. They were just putting up promotional posts on a certain timetable. Like people want to hold them accountable for something, but I, I do don't want know to push back slightly. I do want to push back slightly on that though, because I do agree. I actually thought, even though they got to make it themselves, their comparison to the car manufacturer was actually very appropriate. And I thought I was like, that's a very good way of framing it. I think you have a very valid argument. The thing that pushes me into like Jerry needs to like off is um I'm not saying I like him. No, 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 sorry. That was a really, really poor joke wordplay. That was just stupid of me. But <laughs> but my thing that pushes me a little over with them, it makes me hold them a little more culpable. And they talk about it too is when they start remo- start flagging and removing comments that are asking for basic info, at some point, it's kind of like Ja Rule. At some point, you know what's happening. And this goes back to like, yes, the checks were clearing, blah, 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 blah. I'm pretty sure Gary got most, if not all, their money. But the fact is that like, dude, at some point, you got to protect your brand. And I don't care what your logic is, there became a very clear tipping point a boiling point, like the band start pulling out and all this stuff. Like, but they wanted to just distance themselves instead of taking responsibility because they are a media company. Yes. That, that is trying to cater to corporations. Yes. So if your shit's shady there, they went through those. Look, I'm not defending them. I'm saying, Oh, I know you aren't. Yeah. They went through with that because they want other corporations to know, okay, if we start doing shady shit, Jerry's not going to take a grandstand, you know, like, oh, they're going to, they're not going to expose oh, they have all us kinds of know. conflicting. Absolutely. They have all kinds yeah. of conflicting yeah. influences, but like, ultimately there became a very clear point as the festival approached where it's like, dude, if someone's telling you to remove, yeah. I don't have oh, a plane yeah. ticket. And like, I don't have like very basic, like, Hey, what, how do we find our bands? Like very, not even like very innocent, non-leading questions. And you're removing half the comments. Mm-hmm. And like, they, even the developer, all the people, we're like, yeah, that was a little weird. I'm like, you think? Right. <laughs> yeah, and my issue, my issue with with Barry, as someone who works in marketing, is you know, uh, I've I've been on the other side of this, where you know, it, if you're if you're sponsoring a podcast or sponsoring a, a radio show or or doing something like that, where you you are tying your brand to something else. Um, you do your due diligence, you listen to whatever it is, you, you know, like, for example, you know, when I've helped with putting podcast ads out in the past, I sat and listened to them to make sure that podcasts weren't offensive or whatever, and or didn't conflict with the ideals of a brand that I was working with. And I think where Jerry runs into an issue here is Greg's right, they were getting a ton of money. And it seems like their their checks were clearing for a lot of this. At some point, especially when there started being fire fraud on Twitter, especially when you started getting a lot of emails that were trying to get more people to dump money into this thing, just as a responsible brand, which, which Jerry has never been from the beginning. Right. Yeah. You're putting um, a lot of pressure on that. Right. But, but, but in a perfect world, if they were respectable marketers, I do think it is incumbent upon them to say, okay, you know what? The best way we can market this for you guys is fly one of our guys out there. Don't even put it on your dime. You know, they need to go to Billy McFarland. They need to say, hey, fly two of our marketers out there. We want some footage of our own. We want to understand what's going on. That's how we can market this better. Like That actually proves they're bad marketers. Um, the marketing, the best marketing was done by the influencers, not them. Um, the orange and, tiles were inspired. 
Right, right. Like, like yeah. the best the best marketing is when they paid Kylie Jenner to do stuff for them, not when <laughs> not when these guys were on the clock. And Which, uh, and I think it would say it is incumbent upon them a little bit if they care about their brand image to go and seek out what's going on. And nah, they didn't do that. Yeah, I w- I've watched enough Mad Men to see that you send your ad guide to go look at the company you're working with. What <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned Kylie Jenner. What thing also that, make sure you chain smoke. Yep, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> Sexually harass everybody. That is uh, a God. pivotal, pivotal yeah. requirement. So one thing that really kind of uh, got me with the Hulu documentary that kind of pissed me off is when they started talking about millennials. Yeah, they definitely wanted to grind their axe and play the easy, like easy points to score. Yeah, millennials are dumb little creatures who only live on their phones, and oh, they're so afraid of not being the part of, of all the kids using their phones. And, uh, yeah, and like oh, Ky- their god Kylie Jenner tells them what to do. Like, <laughs> oh, I hate it. But also, I, I, I want to talk well, about baby boomers and their god Sean Hannity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so one thing I was really disappointed with both documentaries is none of them actually talk about they talk about the extravagant price of some of these packages but they don't talk about what was actually paid by most people and that bothers me that's a very good point i could not answer yeah you're right i have no idea what people mostly paid i have no idea what the average let me yeah, let me ask for the most basic ticket what do you guys think the price would have been now this 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 covered your flight to the island uh your ticket into the event your meals and like your hospitality so both weekends and the five days between Three grand. Okay, I, I'm I'm gonna say yeah. I, I I'm just gonna go with bread on this. I, I was looking at like twenty five hundred, three grand, something like that. Fifteen hundred dollars was Bullshit. the basic price. Shit. A lot of people. A lot Are of you people, out of your mind. A lot of people got in on the early bird special, which was five hundred dollars. Okay, it's not a festival. Is not an Indiegogo. You can't work it like that. Like, which is why, which is when you're why Billy McFarland, it is. Which is why they <laughs> shut down general admission. Like people like to shit. Like, oh, rich people, ha ha ha. If you told me, oh, like two weeks in the Bahamas, all my food paid, seeing amazing bands, and it's just it's between five hundred and fifteen hundred dollars. Okay, sure, that's not right. a bad price. Out that life. Like that, you can see why some people, why a lot of people were like, "Yeah, I'll do that." Uh, I, it just bothered me so much that they were like, "Oh yeah, the most expensive package," which nobody bought. And then big celebrities are endorsing it, so why would you ever question it? Like they're talking about millennials are idiots who will buy anything, but it's like, dude, these like multi-millionaire celebrities are putting their brand. Like we actually, as a group, understand brand and like weight and like your voice, like Jenner's. Kylie Jenner's uh, was it Kylie Jenner or Caitlyn Jenner? Who was the one who it was Kylie Jenner? It was Kylie. So Kylie Jenner is oh God, Kylie Jenner. There you go. And so her reputation is absolutely damaged by this documentary. There's no doubt in my mind that you could probably pull up any random Instagram post and find comments referencing this because we understand that your voice and your brand are all you have. That's a very like millennial concept in a lot. It's not new to us, but it's so. It permeates like the way we view publicity. And so I think that like if I saw something that looked too good to be true and then I see 20 celebrities are like, I'm going to be there. It's going to be amazing. Here's my link to a ticket. I I would say there's a 95% chance I wouldn't question it. And I think the one thing I want to talk about with the millennials in particular is – Sorry, I know I'm getting excited and loud. It's just like – I love it. I love it. So one thing with the millennials – and David and I talked a little bit about this earlier today, is I think a lot of people are mistaken, Andy King included, 
um, when he makes a comment and several other people make the comment, I'm like, oh, it's just like Woodstock for millennials. It's the next generation of this. And I don't, I think that's a really, like, I think it's kind of a dumb comparison to be entirely blunt. Hey, whoa, I, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. I brought up Woodstock earlier. Check yourself. Right. So the problem here is, is that Woodstock did not sell you a exclusive yes. VIP experience. That's true. It was very much for the people. Woodstock sold you. You are going to be in the dirt and get syphilis. And you're going to do so many drugs. And it's you're not even going to you know, won't see straight for a week. You're not going to know who the the father of your baby is. Like, just... right. and, and I think, and I think, if you want to compare the fire festival to a cultural phenomenon amongst the generation, it's just it's not fair game. And I don't even think Coachella or anything else is. I think you have to look at something that is a cultural phenomenon for a very specific reason. I don't think millennials have had that yet. Uh, uh, yeah, I think Coachella is probably the closest thing we've come to. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess you could this is in its own way. But Burning Man's got its own controversies now. But well, Burning Man, Burning Man is also a, that's a that's a multi generational thing. I mean, you have people. That's true. That's fair. It's gone all long enough. Yeah. And if that appeal that appeals to a lifestyle. I would say that's beyond millennial. It's become a little bit more of a millennial thing. But that was much more of an undergroundish kind of. But thing. But it taps into like experience and yeah. getting out of your getting out of the urban dredge and getting away from your phones and you know it's, it right, taps right. into that 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 mentality. Although I guess Fire Festival is the antithesis to that. It's like the ultimate Instagrammable experience. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I just think it's, I think it was weird that people like Andy King were saying like, oh, well, Woodstock was a mess and they made it work. It was like, yeah, but they weren't flying people into the Bahamas. It was a way cheaper operation. Yeah, they promised, they promised, hey, the bands will be there. You just get there and figure it out. Somehow. Yeah. And also, I I think think it'll be interesting because we're going to see Woodstock 50 this year and Woodstock reruns have had a very bad track record, particularly Woodstock 99, which was shown a little bit in the Hulu documentary. Where anarchy almost began, yeah. Uh, I just I forgot about this. I know I'm cutting back, so I have an article up about the fire festival. I forgot that Ja Rule recently tweeted out uh, when the documentaries came out. I too was hustled, scammed, bamboozled, hoodwinked, led astray. Bamboozled. Bamboozled. He tweets like Kanye West defending Bill Cosby, right? <laughs> like it's like it's like one step removed from Bill Cosby innocent. Like, but, but it's just so funny in the documentary he's he's pretty much the one who's like yeah let's do a festival like, also can i can i just throw out by the way speaking of kanye that it's a damn shame that good was never actually involved in this because you can you imagine how much more of a dumpster fire this would have been if kanye was on the island with them it would oh that would have been perfect if, if kanye was on this island it would be the most amazing thing that's ever happened <laughs> oh and 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 I don't know if it necessarily would have turned into complete anarchy in the evening. Uh, that's something else we haven't really talked about is that shit really hit the fan when McFarland decided to stand up on top of a picnic table and just tell everybody to go free for all. Oh my God. The free for all is dude. And can, can we, this actually segues the reason I'm sure y'all noticed on the okay, I've been looking at my computer. I'm tr- I was trying to find the name of this guy, Justin Liao, I believe L I O who admitted to when that happened goes out and starts ripping open tents and pissing on mattresses around the place he's going to sleep. Did people... Why? What did he post on social media? And now he's... Su- from what I need to... I need to check this. Last I checked, I heard from people, but I need to... This rumor flies. I need to double check this. From what I heard, he's suing Netflix for defamation. 
but I'm pretty sure they use video of him describing what he did to keep people away from his tent, his little FEMA tent out in the bluffs of Bahamas. The, I mean, geo, uh, the geodesic dome. Yeah. Uh, oh they're, they're, they're pretty much in a Sandals parking lot. <laughs> one of the best parts. I actually met a guy recently who went to the Sandals by there. And when he watched the documentary, he was like, dude, I watched the documentary. And I saw the aerial shot before they explained it. And I went, is that that fucking place? I was right by where we were staying. <laughs> uh, by the way, whenever they talk about sandals in this, because sandals is literally a couple miles south of this, I all I can think of is sandals is like notoriously the average Bahamas experience <laughs> experience for a lot. Like it's like it's it was the it was the butt end of the joke of the office when Michael takes Jan to the oh my god that's right sandals. sandals Jamaica. Um, and I love that how that. Uh, would have been paradise in contrast but to the they, FEMA. Well, then they, they then they posit that in one of the documentaries that it would have been better if he just rented out all the rooms and sandals. They, they they couldn't because there was the uh, the thing happening. The uh, oh, that storm. The no, 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 it wasn't. No, it wasn't the storm. No, like the, the, the yacht race yearly. thing. Yeah, the yacht. Oh, thing. their big annual event. Actually, both films talked about that. That's right. They have that regatta every <laughs> year. Biggest thing, and they're like, uh, and "You the guys screwed." Rooms book like a year in advance. <laughs> well, and the whole thing, the, the Hulu one of like, oh, we had houses for everybody. We had a box full of keys. <laughs> we lost the box full of keys. What? I'm surprised oh, they didn't just go God. around picking locks and breaking down doors. I'm I'm not entirely convinced that didn't happen. Oh, well, <laughs> people people got their stuff stolen. Like the neither documentary, they, they kind of talk about the chaos a little bit, but that whole thing of like just throwing bags out into the sand. A lot of people got their stuff stolen. Yeah, and like, here's the thing. I got to be honest here. Like there, there, there's a there's a venture capitalist in the Hulu documentary that has a great quote, and and not verbatim because I'm remembering it off the top of my head. He essentially says it was funny until it was criminal, and then it was criminal and still a little bit funny. And uh, and I, I I remember when the fire festival happened. I remember being on Twitter. I remember seeing this Trevor kid post up the cheese sandwich and i remember oh, laughing cheese because there's i'm pretty sure when i pitched this idea to you you mentioned that you had seen the post that like kind of launched it all yeah i remember <laughs> that and and i remember like thinking that was really funny and it was just it was i think what it was for me at the time is it was less oh a bunch of rich millennials got screwed which i think it, what it was for most people and more realistically I remember the fire fraud Twitter and I remember thinking to myself like, yeah, y- yeah, uh, of course. Like this guy's <laughs> posting photos of this. Um, yeah. and, and that's kind of what blew my mind. And it was fun for me to watch this because this was like the first, one of the first things when I was really active on Twitter a couple of years ago. And I like remember following it and I remember seeing the stuff blowing up off the Island once people could get internet. And I don't know, like, do we, here's what I, I'm going to th- throw this out there. Ooh, fire who's away. the most punchable person? Oh, Billy McFarlane? That is an influencer. Oh, no. uh, who is? That is an oh, influencer. Seth. Because oh, there's yeah, some of you... them, Seth. There's some of them, Seth. Um, mostly just Seth. Where I don't feel that bad for him. Well, Seth, and Seth, Seth has even said, you know, I paid $4,000. You're allowed to make fun of me. There's a number of them. Oh, did he really? I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is a number of people I don't, I don't feel bad for. But there's a, there are also some people who genuinely 
you know, spent five hundred, fifteen hundred dollars. Oh, I feel like, terrible for them. Thinking, yeah, they were going to do something awesome and, and totally. I, I think what I'm getting at is is there's Seth who is just obnoxious in both documentaries, and then there is this woman in the second documentary on Hulu, and she's actually shown in both documentaries, but she was only interviewed for Hulu. This was the woman that actually got one of the private villas. And oh, she yeah. Into the camera I was saying this earlier, like, yeah. I, I like, felt so bad. And then cut to them dancing. And then she just cuts – and she cuts to them partying. And then it cuts back to her staring at the camera and then giggling. And I was like, you are why people made fun right. of all the people on this You're island. The you, are the, you are the archetype that people hate and think that this island is full of. And sure, there might be a bunch of women like that and a bunch of people like that. But she was – the personification of influencer gone awry. I didn't know they were actually. I, th- I mean, those houses had to have been built before they. I think oh, that was yeah. like an Airbnb situation. I don't. Yeah. Think. Didn't they mention it was actually some of it was they reserved on Airbnb? Yeah. Yes, they did. <laughs> so, if y'all don't mind, so we've talked about this. We've had a nice like forty-five minute rant. Um, I actually think this was incredibly more cohesive than I anticipated. So props to y'all. Y'all are far more disciplined than I am as a person. Um, but this was a really good overview. If there's one thing y'all take away from this chaos... It's used in marketing classes now. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a whole other level. It is the most brilliantly marketed train wreck of all time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's exaggeration. So... Yeah. What I kind of find, what I'd love to talk a little bit about, and part of why I want to do this, if y'all don't mind, I'd love to dedicate a little bit of time to this, is like, what are the pitfalls and problems of like, let's get a little meta, like the documentary, um, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of, in you know, history called historiography, but the methodology is what I'm looking for. What is some of the methodology they use? Because like, for instance, people are really angry about Billy McFarlane making all that money. I agree with that. But you'd also see people saying things like, oh, they paid an interviewee, which is 95% of documentaries you watch, the people are paid. That's actually a very common thing. And what I think is so cool about these two films is like you're watching millions of people across America. That might be a little overzealous, but at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people across America debate like what is ethical in documentary filmmaking. And that is like a very interesting question because Jerry funded it. And I believe it was, I believe it was David who said earlier that you were kind of like, I think it's relatively fair shake, all things considered, you know, it could have been a propaganda. I'm not, you're not vindicating them, but I think that you were kind of like for a group that funded it, they were not shy about showing the train wreck and they were definitely kind of vindicating themselves a little bit. But they take some responsibility, even if it's minimal. And I think they could have easily made it a platform to completely just say, like, we had nothing to do with this, blah, 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 blah. So I think it's be behoove us to talk a little bit about the two films. What were their strengths? What were their weaknesses? So I guess, Brett, I'll ask you first. And then, David, you can pick it up. Um, what would you say are, like, the greatest strengths and weaknesses of the Netflix documentary? Well, actually, say Hulu, because I, I, I think you should watch the Hulu first and Netflix second. What would you say is the greatest strengths and weaknesses of the Hulu documentary? So the strength of the Hulu documentary, I think, is that it does spend a lot more time doing the traditional, uh, you know, cradle to grave. He's not dead yet, but, <laughs> but they do the life story of Billy McFarlane a little bit better. And I think that lends further context into why he is how he is. I do like the focus on him. I think that's really strong. 
yeah, they surround the, the people he surrounds himself with. I think the, I think his, you know, his, the girlfriend that questionably is staying with him through all of oh this. Oh my God. I forgot about her. It's, and completely uh... she, and, and at the end of the documentary, she's like, and I guess he was involved in the fire festival. <laughs> like, oh she kind of read to me like a mail order bride. Am I the only oh one? My. It was bad. It was really, right, I, I, like, I was worried I about her. bad for that girl. She is so, she's buying into something. Right. Okay. And, I, and I, but I think that because Hulu was able to talk to her and because Hulu was able mm-hmm. to go a little bit deeper into things like, um, you know, his, his childhood and what his family had to say about him and, uh, and, and Magnesis, I think that was its biggest strength. I think its biggest weakness, oddly enough, was that because it didn't have that fuck Jerry access because it didn't have all that firsthand stuff. It had to rely very heavily on like, here's a quippy quip from the office or they use the office in there. They use like a ton of other TV shows. That's right. I forgot Hulu just dropped like reference after reference after reference and just like memes and like, yeah, oh, look at the hip reference. I forgot about that actually. Yeah. And, and I think that was, it was all they could have done because they didn't have that kind of access. But I did feel like when I was watching the Netflix one, even if not all the interviews were entirely compelling, I got the story from a ton of different angles, whereas the Hulu one told it to me from four or five people, mostly recurringly. I mean, we had a couple of folks that worked on it. We had the venture capitalist that was talking for large, you know, brunt of the time. That was kind of it. We had we had Seth. Ugh, Seth. So like I, I guess they like saw it as like the expert weakness. testimonial, I guess is what they were kind of going for, but yeah, it kind of fell flat. Yeah, just for me, it was like, I want to hear everyone's hot takes off this, right? I want to hear the people who worked with them. I want to pe- hear the people that went. I just want to hear so much of this. And I think Netflix throws a lot more at the wall in that regard, which is why you get insane sequences like that one with Andy King. That's fair. What about you, uh, David? What do you What do you think? Uh, I think strengths. I like that the uh, the Hulu one gets a bit more behind the scenes behind the history it's a lot more about the build-up the countdown sequence was like day seven day six that like yeah that tension there that screw tightening was so intense yeah but even like before that you know it's like all right well 45 days out here's where we were at and, mm-hmm. and stuff like this um i, I and yeah like you know it got a lot more behind the scenes of billy and then talked a lot more about magnesis which i think was just so crucial into understanding you know it seemed like fire something like it came out of nowhere for us. And it kind of did for like a lot of people, but it's like, there was so much that led to this moment. Uh, and I like the thing, like they talked a lot more about the emails that got leaked about mm. uh, what was like going on. They talked about like reference, a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really interesting uh, weaknesses. Kind of the same thing with uh, that Brett said, where they, they were using the, weird like b-roll footage from like old cartoons and stuff or like it's like a game of whack-a-mole and cut to some kid playing whack-a-mole it's like i get what you're trying to illustrate here but at the same time that has nothing to do with the documentary sick reference bro yeah yeah uh, it just felt like a couple of times they were like yeah well you don't have the footage so we gotta we gotta pad it with something hmm. um and it just kind of I don't know. I, I think a weakness of this one, it's, I hate to say it, it's because of the Netflix one. Uh, I think that they, I don't know, they just kind of get like, oh, the fire Festival failed and now Billy's in prison. Like it just really quick, like got to there, like lead up, lead up, lead up. It happened. It failed. It's over. Which when we talk about the Netflix one in a minute, uh, I can talk about how I, I, I there's some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the Hulu one, um, 
I think they did this very deliberately. Um, they do a good job of throwing shade at Netflix a little bit. I kind of liked that. I mean, I'm not saying it's good documentary filmmaking, but as my taste in films have evolved, um, maybe not evolved as they've changed, it might be petty of me, but I kind of like when a discussion happens, whether it's vitriolic or not. And so the fact that they kind of call out Netflix a little bit, um, especially with the interview, the guy who was fired from there. Um, I do think that the Hulu one, I, I've come to appreciate very focused narratives and you both touched on this a little bit. Um, I liked seeing the Magnesa story. I liked seeing Billy McFarlane because the film is basically, here's a story of Billy McFarlane in the context of fire festival. And that's a very interesting way of focusing your point. Um, I think paying him so much money has some larger ethics discussions, less about documentary filmmaking and more like this guy profited on the misery of other people and conning them. And now you're rewarding him for that story. There's uh, some weird kind of, that's like a larger discussion and ethics discussion. It's not as much like bad methodology, but I think there's, I think it's a fair critique. Mm-hmm. And they got but, screwed for it too. I'm just going to throw that out there. Nothing yeah, that yeah. Any of those interviews was worth that money. Yeah. And, uh, but I did appreciate getting Billy's take, uh, even when he wouldn't share. It was interesting because I actually strangely felt a little sympathy for him because it built that kind of mentality I have. Maybe it's erroneous, but I'm not entirely sure he understands what he is. I don't think he knows how to look introspectively. He, oh, he doesn't. No, the man's sick in the head. Yeah, I, I don't think I think he lacks introspection. Um, I think he can't look back on this in hindsight and see the problems that there's one very common thread and it's Billy McFarlane and no. he had 50 ways to get out of it and uh, he never took them. His, uh, his, it, yeah. it, I think his logic would be behind it all would be like, well, it, it failed because people weren't trying hard enough. Exactly. And so I think that Hulu does a really good job illustrating the person and I found that that was super valuable despite my misgivings in the documentary as a whole, uh, I just, it's so valuable and my things are mostly critiques. I can't say it's a bad film by any stretch of the imagination. Agree. Got the David seal of approval. <laughs> you get Sorry, I came off way more sarcastic than I intended. Sorry. So Brett, how do you feel about the Netflix one? I think if you're going to watch, if you're only going to watch one, I think you're doing yourself a disservice in doing so. But if you are only going to watch one, the Netflix one is worth your time more um, because it does offer you more of that inside take courtesy of, of Jerry, but also um, they just did a better job of capturing more interviews and talking to the right people. And they, it seems like they might've had a little more money behind it to do so. Um, I'm not really going to get into the pissing match of like, they paid for an interview and they produced it because like, then we're just like a fight to the bottom here. <laughs> it's not going to get anybody That's a very anywhere. Um, but it's good to know what each one did, of course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as I as I mentioned earlier, I do think that 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 Jerry has a little. I, I think they should shoulder a little more than they do, and that probably the fact that they had their hands all over the Netflix one probably allowed them to kind of circumvent that and not even have that conversation to begin with. And that's problematic to me. But I think the Netflix one is much better made. I think it's much more interesting. I think uh, mm. it has 
insane quotes and Andy King aside, <laughs> um, there is just some wild stuff going on in that documentary that made it feel just less of a, here's the life story of Billy McFarland and a little bit more original in that regard. And on the minus side, I think that it focuses a little bit too much sometimes on some more useless takes from influencers. I didn't need to hear about Seth. I'm just going to crap on all over Seth the entire time. <laughs> but like I heard, I heard from him so much in that movie and I was so done. Um, and I think the other really big thing I want to mention before I pass to David is one thing Netflix does really well, again, kind of courtesy of Jerry is they have the aftermath of yes, he's indicted and he's still running a con. He is using the marketing mailing list for the fire festival to have a guy who's not him run his agenda sell fake tickets to events that don't even sell tickets places like the met gala the met gala thing is insane i know it was frank Uh, right was that the the guy exactly and that just while on parole while on parole, while living in a penthouse, a gorgeous penthouse, surrounding himself with all these people, and actually sitting there talking to the guy behind the camera saying, Document it, get it all, get it all. I've learned now that you just need to have cameras rolling the entire time. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you should have learned from this for yourself right now. It's quite the opposite because all the influencers documenting everything <laughs> did not allow you to have any wiggle room in your narrative. <laughs> right. So I was just uh, – that is what really sealed the deal for me on the Netflix one was that they had – all of that. And that, that impressed me quite a bit. I thought that offered a more complete story, at the very least, of the Fire Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think you should see them both. What about you, David? What are you thinking? Uh, I really liked uh, yeah, how much footage they got on Netflix. Uh, I really liked that they, they kind of drilled down into some more of the people. Uh, they talked about how there's so many people who are in massive amounts of debt because of this thing. Um, that Billy left them with six figures of debt, if not more, and they can't get money from him. They mm-hmm. like they're they're wrecked because of this, uh, and that sucks. Like that's so sad. Um, I really like that they got yeah, kind of more into the heart of that. Uh, they didn't have the Billy interview, but they had so much behind the scenes footage. You still got a really good feel for him. Uh, I felt. Uh, I didn't like sometimes how dramatic it was. Some of the music in it, um, watching the two kind of side by side, like they just like they they make the the way the Hulu one is or the Netflix one is shot is everybody's like the backgrounds are all in these intense shadows. Uh, and straight down the, the barrel, of the camera. I definitely yeah. noticed that centered straight down the barrel, yes, which is like antithetical to typical that's documentary interview. Yeah. How you shoot a documentary at all? Which I kind—I don't know—I I, kind of liked that Netflix did that with Wild Wild Country too. They've been really messing with like interview formats, and yeah, I think the they brought this intense gravitas. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. It's like I, I think you're right, but like that kind of was interesting to me that they're messing with the formula. But you're right; it kind of like brought this intensity, and you're like, dude, this isn't like you know. An ethnic cleansing, you know. This isn't like this isn't this isn't Whoa. bodies piling up in war. This is like 
you know, people had her got stranded in the Bahamas for a weekend. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not, they have been there a week. Bodies might have been piling up. They I I was there. concerned that we were going to hear about body counts. Uh, yeah, I, and I don't I don't think necessarily how they shot looked bad. I thought it actually looked really good. But yeah, for like something where we're talking about it's not like overkill. Yeah, it's like in yeah, people got defrauded and people have lost a good chunk of money. But it's like this isn't the financial crisis of 2008, you know. <laughs> but we're treating it with the same level of seriousness that we would treat that i'm all for treating these you should treat this seriously like it's a real story which i think hulu also did but i think hulu didn't make it as dramatic though when you tell that water blowjob story it's got to be the most dramatic thing that you can get your hands on that deserved oh my god that deserved every second of airtime yeah that guy doesn't want to be remembered as the blowjob guy anymore but you offered that story up freely I was very interested in his interview and how candid he was. There was, was... in general, it was just a great interview like that. And they did another tour. interview. Like if you go on social media, he's on camera in the last couple of days, sitting in front of the camera, talking about how glad he is about how well this documentary did. And it just blew my mind how how open he at, was with. That. Oh, at this point, and that's why I love so many people. At this point, are like. I got nothing to lose. Like, uh, uh, there's no point in trying to defend what happened. Like, I got screwed over too, and I was part yeah. of the screwed over people. And well, I'm wondering how many of them are going. I can leverage this into an opportunity. Yeah, and I think we should yeah. also do a call. As long as we're talking about people who were very open and, um, you know, gave a lot of context, I th- it's probably also worth mentioning Mark Weinstein, who's only in the Netflix documentary. He's the one that Netflix actually closes with when he's saying this is all going to happen all over again. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was one of the organizers and um, yeah, he was contracted by Billy McFarlane to work for the project. He works at way financial. So he offered investments and all that sort of stuff. And the entire time Mark is writing emails to people saying, this is going to be a dumpster fire. This is going to be bad. Please don't do this to which they, to which they respond. At least you're going to be teaching them yoga. Like, yeah. uh, oh my he was God. trying. Mark Weinstein was trying, 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 and was just hitting a brick wall. But he was, and he was the one who seventy percent of his paycheck was on the other side of the festival. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, you're citing that earlier. I mean, it's and he probably wasn't alone in that. No. No. Oh, definitely he, not. Oh my God. He. It, it. Yeah. I mean, to kind of like round out a little bit, if y'all don't mind the. The Netflix one, I mean, the thing that struck me the most about it was they dealt with the aftermath. Y'all both alluded a little bit. They dealt with the aftermath so much more thoroughly mm-hmm. um, to the point where it led to that earlier mentioned crowdfunding campaign. I think the Hulu one is so focused on McFarlane that I wish it had shown more of the fallout that wasn't just like, and then Billy McFarlane got royally f- like, which he deserves. But the Bahamas, like, that's a lot of people. Like it's an impoverished territory. Those are people who cannot afford to be screwed over. I mean, you can get all into discussions about labor laws, all this stuff, but these aren't even American citizens, man. Like those guys, all those people who work, the woman who ran that restaurant and the catering, it just, you just look at it and you go, man, it's not enough to be like, Oh, you failed. That film really emphasized like, not only did he fail and ruin all these like millennials, let's say you're sympathetic to the narrative. Millennials are entitled, blah, blah, blah. Let's say you accept all that, that they're just that they're worst of the worst and they all deserved it. And then there's just these, this impoverished people who are out two months of labor. I, I, I'm so glad that was emphasized. I have so many issues with the Netflix one, but that's a 
huge, huge redemptive thing for me on that one. And I think that that's kind of why I go Hulu Netflix because Hulu is so much more about the process and the man and the festival. And Netflix is like the festival and the fallout. I'd say probably almost half the movie is about the fallout, right? It's about probably a solid hour of the movie. Nah, sorry. The movie's about both are about 90 minutes. So a solid 40, 45 minutes of the Netflix one, if I'm going off memory here, is about the aftermath and really covers that thoroughly. And so I really appreciated that. But, you know, there. It's weird to, again, back to the original thing to start this all. It's so weird to have these two documentaries in conversation with each other. It's it's such a, like, what a unique experience it is. And, uh, I mean, do you two have any other thoughts or any other things y'all want to share? I mean, I want to make sure y'all get to hit your major notes. Uh, actually, one thing I want to mention, and this is going to sound crazy to people, uh, but if... Uh, Fire if, away. Maybe, maybe if there's somebody who's listening to this who's just like, well, you know, I've heard so much about it. I don't need to necessarily watch it and all that. I don't want to spend three hours watching these two documentaries. Okay, I get that. Uh, there was a guy, internet historian, um, who did an 11 to 12-minute documentary on this that I actually had watched a year ago when it first came out. So I actually knew a lot of this stuff talks about in the documentaries I have known about for a while because of this guy's little thing he put together. Uh, and it is well worth the watch. So if you're listening to this and you, you're like, I don't want to sit through the whole thing, go watch that and you'll get a really big sense of it. What's it called? Yeah. It's uh, Internet Historian. He talks about the fire. Oh, oh, okay. That's actually his name, uh, Internet Historian. The, the, you, yeah, okay. the YouTube channel is, yeah, Internet Historian. Or even if like, you have watched the two, go watch this one as well. I think this one, this guy's not involved at all. He doesn't talk to anybody involved, but he just, he, so he just lays out the facts of it. And it's a really great little uh, look into. I'd love to check that out. I haven't seen that actually. So I'll, I'll definitely be checking that out. Yeah, that's all I got. What about you, Brett? I was shocked at the end of this. Billy McFarland was mostly focused on Fire Festival 2018, and I would have loved to have seen that happen. Uh, <laughs> it was supposed so, to be a five-year event, baby. So yeah, um, here's to like Fire Festival. Let's see, he was indicted in 2017. So let's just say Fire Festival 2027-ish, like oh, to nice. give him some time. Um, oh, he's not ten years, six years. Yeah, so he'll be back. That's that's my mm-hmm. hot take. Is and it seems to be everyone else's. Is that I don't think a guy like this ever stops. I think that we will inevitably see another scam and, and it'll be something like small at the beginning, like using a marketing mailing list to send out crap, or it'll be like creating a fake black card for millennials that has like a $250 introductory fee or something crazy like that. And, uh, and this is definitely not the last of him. You know, I, I, I think back for example, about how bad he looks in the, both these documentaries, even the one he offered his voice to looks terrible in it. And then I think about the social network and a lot of people compare him to having like that. We thought we, he was going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. That's and right. obviously He's that's exact not the case. A ton in the film. Right. That's not the case, obviously, but I will say that did anyone come out of the social network, not thinking that Mark Zuckerberg was a total scumbag. Like that movie paints him in such a bad light. And, uh, for, for better or for worse. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. And I think this does the same thing. I think that in the same way that we don't really flinch at Mark Zuckerberg, it's, it's just Mark Zuckerberg. I think 10 years from now, people are going to look at Billy McFarlane the same way. Um, not that he's Mark Zuckerberg, just that they don't really care if he is a scumbag. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Well, thank you all so much for coming on. And uh, if you're listening, uh, thank you so much Nicole, for being on. Um, but uh thank you all so much for doing this um i know i came out of nowhere you put this together really quickly i really appreciate y'all's time 
this was super fun to do. So uh, I guess if there's nothing else, uh, where can they find y'all? David, where can people find you? <laughs> people can find me around the internet under the username DavLuz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. Of course, I'm also on the Movie Go Around podcast and the BrokeBot Mountain podcast. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. That's Brett with two T's and Stewart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. And you can find our podcast that we do, Movie Go Round, on all places that you get podcasts served to you. So check that out. Thanks for having us, Greg. It was absolutely a wonderful time. Absolutely. And we will have links to their social media and podcasts in the description. So make sure y'all jump on that. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, it's really weird. I'm trying to figure out how to do a sign out and I'm buying time because it's always, I'm Ryan and I'm Josh. And blah, blah, blah. I, I'm trying to figure it out. So I'm just going to say, thank you for listening to Rumor Flies with Movie Go Round. I'm Greg. <laughs> Take care, everyone. <laughs>